Crash Course in History, session number eight. Rabbi Blayweiss. We, uh, we last left our heroes. Chizgah Melech was a great king. It could have been better. It could have been Mashiach. Uh, he had sons. He didn't want to have these sons, but he accepted the rebuke of his, what would become his father-in-law, Yishayahu and Amelech, and had the sons. One of the Menashe replaced him. He became the longest ruling king ever at a total of 55 years. And he did extreme evil. He's certainly the third of the three kings in the Mishnah, that's debated. He even surpasses Ahab in his wickedness. David. Is it true that before a son of every Avera that the son does is on the father? Something like that. That's why the father blesses Shiloh, right? Who now exempts me from the punishment of this. So how, there, how then could it there be demanded of that king that he was Hizkiyahu? Was it? Hizkiyahu was his father. He didn't care about the personal responsibility and all the rest of that. He didn't want to have a son that, that was going to be going to try to be a turkey. Right, but so this son is going to be a Russian, yeah? Yeah. So all of the Averas that he does until he's, you know, it's a Russian king. All on the father, father, so what? Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, so, and he said you just do your mitzvahs and have the kids. Like, how can you demand that when what is you're the, I, I, I'm, I'm, damning yourself? It's like, it's like you have these kids that are just going to... So why should he have those kids? So the Navi tells him, right, exactly. Nothing is sealed. You just do your part. We do, and Hashem does his. Right. The mitzvah is to have children. That you have a vision. It's going to be like this. Okay, you'll have to bend over backwards and try to give it extra good chinuch. And he did. He did everything he could, and even so. So what do you want? We don't run the world. We just try our best. Right. Ours is ours is ours is not to complete it. Ours is just to do our do our do the job. Right. Um, which is a very big insight in history, and this comes up repeatedly in different ways. People often feel it's all about results, right? We measure things well. You know, if 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 they turned out well, then it all it all showed that the efforts were all worthwhile, and so on. No, it's not always about the results. Sometimes you just have to do the right thing, and the immediate results might be lousy. You can't you can't control such things. You still do mistakes. Well, and this is not not referred to the same one. I know, but it's, it's sharing a name. Is that, is, is that not an issue? It is not an issue if the intent of the parent is specifically this menasha, not, not, not that menasha. Okay. Like it's right, I, I'm menasha, right? So the intent is menasha as in Ephraim's, uh, Ephraim's older brother, and not, not menasha as in Melith. Although there are virtues in this menasha too, he does make tshuva. Whether his tshuva is accepted or not is a, is, is a machlokis tonight. But he does make tshuva. There are certain, there's some redeeming, redeeming yeah, qualities. That's the machlokis. That's the machlokis. It's not a machlokis in halacha or what we call a ma'asit. It's not a practical machlokis, but there's a question whether his tshuva was ever accepted. Did we learn on Yom Kippur that it was? He was an example. Hashem opened up the opening for him. Right, so let me back up and tell a story. He passes his son through fire. Right, that's what that was the way they worshiped the Molech. He'll shed innocent blood of critics, including, I mentioned last time, his own grandfather, Yeshayahu. Uh, he murders, right? He serves Avodazara, not just Avodazara, he brings it into the base of Mikdash for the first time ever. 
right? That's despicable, it's irredeemable, right? And he does even worse, he incites others to follow him, and in fact, that's the worst. Because it's one thing to serve a Zara, but when a person is what's called a Macy's Umidiyah, when I'm giving you this stuff, um, you're not taking notes, uh, which you know some of you know I'm big on, um, but I'm trying to give you the basics of Judaism. It's not just a crash course in history. You should know things, for example, like Macy Sumidiyah is like a basic Jewish concept of somebody who incites to idolatry. We mentioned last time, you can make tshuva, yeshakayef. What do you do with all the people that you, you, got, you, got, you got excited about, about worshiping idolatry? Uh, how are you going to get them? He reintroduces the worship of the Baal. Who got rid of the Baal worship from the northern kingdom? Anybody remember? Yehu. Yehu was his name. He destroyed Beis Achav and destroyed the worship of the Baal. Well, Menashe brings it back. Shkoyach. You're going to be crushed. He rebuilds the Baalmos. Wasn't that exciting last week? Finally, after 12 generations, gets rid of them and his son brings them back. And his legacy of Avodah lingers long after his death. In fact, the end of the first temple, to some degree, is, is, is blamed, not exclusively on Menashe, because everybody has a stake in it, but the people who are his ideological descendants, they carry on his tradition, and that's what leads to the destruction, the Korban of the first temple. Um, now, at one point, yeah, go ahead. Yeah? Did you get that Not yet, no, 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 coming, coming hopefully soon. Why do you ask? We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I've long since I'm running as fast as I can, but um, it's a treadmill. Doing my best. I don't know the story. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fantastic story. I, I, I um, anybody who's giving a class, crash class in history is entitled to be totally irrational in the selection of the things that, that he includes and what he doesn't include. So Daniel, I have a disproportionate amount just because it's Daniel. Uh, the. Uh, this is an instructive story. These are the days we've described as having a prophecy, which are days we can't really fathom. They're not like our times, where the knowledge of a Godish Baruch was great, and the zeal to worship of Zara was also great. They lived in times where there was a powerful drive to worship idolatry. And because we don't have anything analogous in the world today, the best I can try to do is to is describe our own Yitzhahara, but it pales in comparison to, based on the way Chazal described it. And they tell a story that's instructive. Many, many centuries in the future, in fact, at the end of the Babylonian Talmud, talking about the 5th century of the Common Era, Rav Ashi is giving a shir uh, to his students, and he's blocked by a certain halacha. It's about where you cut the challah, what the, what the optimal place that you cut the bread. And in a dream, Menashe comes to him and gives him the answer. And, it, and he gives it so with such erudition, such clarity, uh, that Ravashi says, Ravashi, one of the great lights of the, the end of the Talmudic period, he, he says, but I don't understand, you're such a Talmud Chacham. How, how did you go astray? How did you turn bad? And Menashe responds, he says, you don't understand what it was like to live life back then. It was a different kind of a world that you, even you, Ravashi, can understand. If you were alive, such a, such a strong st- statement, he says, if you were alive, you know this, David, right? You've heard this, you heard this story? That's a, that's a Gemara. It's a Gemara. It's also in Perak All the great Gemara is in Perak So he said, he says, if you were alive in those days, you would have, and you saw Abodazar walking by, you would have picked up your coattail and run after it. Just to catch up with the Avodah It was a, such an all-consuming kind of a passion that, that enveloped people that it was incredibly hard to resist it. And the next day, Ravashi speaks with tremendous reverence about Menashe. It's a new appreciation of, uh, of, of how he stumbled. Eventually, yeah, go ahead. What would you say is the 
There is nothing. That's what's so hard. To, that's why it's so hard to describe it. Um, and we'll get to it soon. We're going to talk about when we lost, and we did distinctively lose the, des the desire for idolatry, we lost something really wonderful, too. Everything, everything good and everything bad has its opposite corollary. So as much as this was obviously ruinous, it was destructive, this desire for idolatry, but it also reflected an innate, passionate spirituality. I mean, the same man was a huge Talmud Chacham who was guilty of all these terrible, terrible crimes. All these people, all these like that really just named, were all from the tribe of Menashe. No, I named one person whose name is Menashe. He's not from the tribe of Menashe. He was one of the ten, really nine and a half northern tribes. Um, he's King Menashe, the son of Chizkiyahu. And he's evil. Really bad. So why but also name? really good and a huge Tommy Chacham, and it's somehow not. Um, a contradiction, and I mentioned this. We talked about Yeravim and Achav and the other evil people that are cited in this in this Mishnah. They're only cited in the Mishnah. The real villains of history don't even make the Mishnah. They're not even worthy of Chazal mentioning. Who cares about them? These guys had so much promise. They should have known better. That's why Elam Chelak Olam Habad. Shem expects more from his from people who have this potential. They like showed us how to tell like Alexander the Great to like erase all of this stuff they taught him or something like that. Like he was so like wise. Shimon where you're confusing different periods of history. Totally different. That's that's the beginning of the second double period. We're near the end of the first. Uh, why do people start like naming? Why do people start naming uh, their kids after uh, like the fact that they start their names? Everyone has different names. Yeah. There's lots of names, but I don't understand the question. The fact that no one has the same name, they say like names. Sure, frequent. There were certainly common names. No question. No, you're not allowed to name Avram. Avram is distinctive. That's the Pasuk says you don't call him Avram. No, no, but then, I'm saying during Avram's time, were yeah. there other Avrams? Oh, that I don't know. That we don't see examples of. But absolutely, there are common names. Where names? Names, and in fact, names are huge schoolers for, for what their child's going to be like. Be careful when you name when you name your children. Try to, try to choose wisely. And, um, and what you name, parents are said to have a certain rule of HaKodesh, when they name their children, uh, what you name your child will have an impact on, their, on his or her life. Menashe is captured by the Babylonians, the new power on the block. They imprison him, and it's in prison. We say in the Tehillim, what, is that, what, do the, what do those words mean? From the depths. I call out to Hashem. Menashe is moved. And sometimes in suffering, it turns, suffering has a way of turning people around. Hashem knows us. That's why sometimes he sends us suffering as a way of trying to reach us. And it does. And it works with Menashe, and he makes tshuva. And um, again... It's, it's a kind of tshuva that's quite sincere. It's so sincere that when it starts to reach the Kisya Kavod of Kadosh Baruch Hu, the heavenly chairs, the angels try to close the door. Again, these are physical metaphors to convey a deeper spiritual reality. Whatever it means, closing the heavenly door. But he wants to keep his tshuva out. And they argue, Hashem, this man is guilty of such great evil. And even what he's done, he, he can make tshuva himself. He can't possibly uh, turn around all the evil he's unleashed into the world. And Akash Baruch responds, he says, if I don't accept his tshuva, then the door will be closed in the future to all Balei tshuva. They'll think it's all hopeless. And that's never the case in this world. Everybody has a chance of turning their lives around. And so what Hashem does is a compromise. He makes a tiny hole under the Kisya Kavod uh, that Menashe's tshuva enters. 
quietly and subtly, but he, he, it enters. Now, again, Tanakama says in the end the chuva is not accepted. Rabbi Yehud is of the view that it is, that he does have a portion of the world to come, and I guess when we go there, we'll all find out who won that particular machlokis. Um, in the end, when he returns to the monarchy, he removes the Avodah he doesn't destroy the Elimi, meaning it's kind of a mixed record, but he leaves this poisonous legacy that will last. His grandson is one of the greats. His name is Yoshiao. We read about him on Tisha B'Av. This is special, in fact, the most famous kina that we say on Tisha B'Av talks about the tragic figure of Yoshiao. The, the Pasuk says about Yoshiao Melech that no, his father was another turkey like Menashe. But Yoshiao came up, came into the king, the kingship as an, as, as an eight-year-old and um, some years later um, made tshuva. Such tshuva that the Pasuk describes no king before returned to Hashem with all his heart and soul, nor did any arise afterwards. By the way, that's a really nice thing to have on your uh, resume. If you want to submit a CV, you kind of want the, you know, Pasuk says about me, nobody ever made tshuva as well as he did. Looks good in Olam Haba too. Um, the story is, is they discovered an ancient Sefer Torah. This is while they're still sitting in the Yom Hazar ways. And they discovered an ancient Sefer Torah, Moshe's Sefer Torah, that had been lost since the time of Ahaz, one of the earlier evil kings. And um, they open up to the section of the Klala, and everybody's aghast, and they have a public reading. And, and Yoshiao says, let's make tshuva. And everybody's inspired, and they do. It's one of the great Baal Tshuva scenes in all of history. Uh, and so much so, he says, I'm going to scour the land. We're going to get rid of all the Avodah And he sends all of his guards out. And they scour the land, and they're mostly successful. They oh, mostly have right, right. the, 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 the very famous story. Except the crafty of the Avodah had their secrets. What they did was they hid the Avodah one half in one doorway, and the other half in the other doorway, so that when the sentries actually opened the doors, they didn't actually see the Avodah uh, they didn't actually see the Abodazara. Uh, it was all hidden from them. And so they didn't catch it. And then he had undue self-confidence. He thought, oh, I've eradicated Abodazara so that when the king, Paronecho in Egypt, asked permission from Yoshiahu to pass through his land on the way to fight, on the way to fight um, Bavel, a totally unrelated, ar- I think it was, or Asher, excuse me. He's fighting Asher. It was a totally unrelated fight. Yoshiahu said no. Well, it's not Usr, but you know, in times of good fortune, well, David, welcome back. Such coincidence you happen to come in with the, um, the, um, the, uh, yeah, so, um, the, the promise of the bracha is that not only will you live in your land with bounty and a will, will shower his blessing down, um, and not only will there not be wars, but it says in the Pasuk, a sword will not pass through your land. And Rashi says, even when it's not aimed at you, even another antagonistic sword will not cross through your land aimed at somebody else. Yoshiausi felt, having eradicated Avodazara, that they were totally worthy of the bracha, and as such he felt that he didn't need to let the king of Egypt, Paronecho, pass through his land. And so he said no. And he asked Shaila. The only problem, he didn't ask the right shayla. Martinez tells us this. He asked um, the last of the seven famous female prophetesses, a woman by the name of... Okay, you need to brush up on your history. Hulda. Hulda was alive then, and she was, she was prophesied. 
But she neglected to ask the big, the guttle ador, who is already the prophet. He's the prophet of doom, but of also of great optimism. Um, none other than Yirmiyahu. And Yirmiyahu's opinion was, absolutely, you let him go. Yirmiyahu knew the truth about the idols in the doorways. But they didn't ask. They didn't consult Yirmiyahu. And for that fatal flaw, um, he doesn't allow Paro to go through the land. Paro comes through the land, nonetheless, and he fights like he threatens to do. He fights Yoshiahu, and the battle takes place up in Megiddo, where the Christians mistakenly understand that's where Armageddon's going to take place. They have everything backwards. Um, and they spear his body with 300 spears. And as the righteous king who'd led this incredible tshuva movement lays dying, Yirmiyahu notices that his lips are moving in his last moments of life, and he thinks, uh-oh. Maybe he's saying stuff that he shouldn't be saying, because sometimes people who are good people who meet uh, ignoble ends uh, might be brought to saying bad things. And he listens to the king, but the king is only saying, Tzadik Hashem. Tzadik Hashem, this is based on a pasuk in, in Eicha. Tzadik Hashem, ki piu marisi. Hashem is right, I've rebelled against his, his words, and I should have known better, to which Yirmiyahu responds, Ruach hapenu, Mashiach Hashem. Meaning he sees the, the spirit, he sees the king's resource of great inspiration for us, and, uh, and the, king, the king was, uh, was matzik what Hashem did, and, um, and accepts his fate. And the, and, and, and the king dies. But he doesn't, he, 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 he accomplishes great things. He almost turned around what was seen almost as inevitable, which is the destruction of the first temple, his, the tshuva that was, that was uh, the movement that he started in his generation almost turned the dean around for the positive. It's never too late. The cavalry can always come riding in. That's what the story of Noah's table should teach us. That's what the story, until the very end, Hashem was giving the Jews a chance to fix things. And Yoshiao almost fixed things. He also had a couple things that's very, that are very interesting. The Gemara in Yuma and Harayos tells us, Yoshiao anticipated the end. And he knew that Korban could distinctly happen. And he was concerned. He knew what would happen by, at the hands of these, this new power on the block, the Babylonians. And he didn't want them to get a hold of some of the goodies. So according to at least one opinion, Yoshiao decided to bury underneath Harabais. And you remember this? I'm connecting dots. We talked about this a few days ago. He decided to bury something. under Actually, a few things under Harabais. Have you ever heard of buried there? Uh, he buried the uh, Aron Kodesh. Uh, what is it? Well, the Aron Kodesh contains the Luchos, for sure. The Kruvim with the Aron, the, the, the staff of Moshe Rabbeinu, the, 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 the flask of Man, and you're forgetting the most important things, the golden, the golden, the golden. Oh, rats and Rats and hemorrhoids. The golden rats and hemorrhoids. Who can forget the golden rats and hemorrhoids? All buried under there. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's probably not the best translation. Is it an actual... Let, no, ew. No, not one of those. It's something. I don't know. Some replica of the disease that that, that blighted the now extinct Plishtim. They're the Plishtim we don't hear about anymore. Um, so, so now he buries underground. He doesn't want the pesky Babylonians' hands on their holy on the holy things. This is one opinion. I also mentioned the second opinion that, in fact, um, the Babylonians did eventually make off with this stuff, and it's over in Bavel. It, that was one of the things that he that he accomplishes. The uh, can we make bubble just be on the safe side? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to. Uh, this is the earliest time in history we hear about a phenomenon in the Jewish world called the diaspora. Up until this point in history, the Jews have been centered and living in Eretz Israel as they're supposed to be, because this is where we're supposed to be. There's not supposed to be a Jewish diaspora, a, a galus. 
but we're already hearing in early, early instances there have been Jews actually in Egypt all the way back in, um, to the days of Chizkiyahu. And Yoshiahu had three sons. He had, more, he, had more, he had other kids, but he had three sons who wound up to be kings, in, not in uh, succession of one another. A little confusing. The last, uh, the last kings of the Jews... One of them rules for three months and is taken right down to Egypt, and we find the Jewish diaspora growing there. We also have diasporas in, um, in places like Ammon and Moab, which is today's Jordan, and possibly as far-flung places as Yemen. The Yemenite Jews have a tradition that's not based on anything that we can verify, but it may be true. We, just, we, just can't, we, have, we have no proof of this, that they, um, that they actually date back to the days of Shlomo HaMelech. There may have been in Yemen as far afield as Spain and France. Uh, some say Spain might be ancient Tarshish, where Yonah was supposed to go, uh, and other places where Jews are now centered. And we're going to be hearing increasingly in history about this diaspora and how it's going to grow, and at some level it's going to sustain us during our bitter years of exile. Um, now, Gemara tells the story of one of the kings, Rodach Baladan, has a sofer, has a scribe over in Bovel. He's a man who had survived an earlier defeat in Yerushalayim. His name is Nebuchadnezzar, one of the villains of history. And Nebuchadnezzar at one point famously runs to honor Hashem. Even in Babylonia, even with the religion of Zoroastrianism, they somehow recognize the glory of Hashem. And he runs three steps to honor him. By the way, anything that comes up in Halacha that's related to those three steps? Um, the three steps going right? back um, and, and, and forward. He's got three steps into our Shmonas right uh, based on this. And these three steps are significant. Even the bad guys in Judaism get rewards. Because remember, everything, the, the, the organizing principle of history in two words, hachet gorem. The sin causes it. Look in this week's Parsha. Where do we find hachet gorem? Look at Rashi in the, end of the beginning of Parsha. Have you done your Sinai Mikri yet? It's I mentioned not, this in Gemara this morning. It's in, it's in the, the end of the first Aliyah. We're going to read it tomorrow. Katonti. When Yaakov says Katonti, look at what Rashi says. He indicates this idea. Uh, anyway, anyway, everything has a correlation in history. And Hashem gives the Nebuchadnezzar HaRasha a prize. He said, you step forward in three steps. You're worthy of three generations of monarchy as Babylon will eventually rise up and, and, uh, and, and, and conquer the world, including Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar will be the first of these three generations. Yes, go ahead. Yeah? Oh, uh, it has two different tribes. It does. Yeah, so, which one, like, what's the reason for that? It's Machlokas. They're two different tribes. Correct. Um, there's a dominant one that, that we're gonna, I'm going to do tomorrow, but yeah. The uh, Gullah's bubble begins. Remember the northern tribes are exiled in three different phases? Same happens in the south. The three different phases, why does Hashem do that? I mentioned before. I hinted at it before. So, uh, yeah, but, would you mind if I just would demonstrate? Chuba, you idiots! You fools, not you personally, but like, you know, us in general. You just have to be sitting in the right place right now. Right, let's make chuba. If you, you know, you're not gonna make chuba the first time around. Do it the second time around. You don't get the hint. Do it the third time around. But it gives us a chance everywhere. And, and what are the Jews thinking? Why are they not making chuba? They have Nevi'im around them. They believe the Nevi'im. They knew the Navi and the Nevi'ah. Hulda was one was was prophesied for the women. Um, they knew Tzafani was for the men. Yirmiyahu was for the men. Habakkuk was there prophesying. They knew that they were channeling directly the words of a Baruch Hu. What were they thinking? How could the people not make chuba? 
And at this point, what are the people, especially with the inspiration of Menashe and his legacy that he leaves on, what were they doing? What were their sins as we were approaching the end? Well, nothing big, really. Just a Vodazara, Ritzich on the side, Gilead Rayos, they neglected the Shemitah years. Other than that, nothing, no big deal. What Gilead Rayos were they doing? Everything. What is Gilead Rayos? Everything. Everything. What is Gilead All the immodesty associated prohibitions go. I refer you to the 18th chapter of Leviticus for a full list. Of of uh, of practices, of sorted practices. The first exile is referred to as the children's exile. It's under the king, wicked king Yehoiakim, one of the sons of Yoshiau, um, in which Nebuchadnezzar wickedly and and cynically captures. Um, first, he takes a lot of the kalim, the kalim of the base of Mikdash. He steals those, and he takes. <coughs> Perfect children, all from the tribe of Yehuda, who are handsome, without blemish, they're wise. They include some of the luminaries of history. Mia just mentioned one of them. Daniel is one of them. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and others. He makes them into eunuchs, although this is all subject to Machlokis, but according to the dominant Daniel view, they sure were. No children for them. Daniel as in like Daniel. As in Sefer Daniel. One of the books, one of the tra- one of the twenty-four books in the in the in the, in the uh, Tanakh, um, they teach them the books and the wisdom of the Kazdim. Kazdim are one are the Babylonian people, so that he could be his eunuchs and serve in the court. Why did they make the? That was the ancient practice. They felt that the if they were a eunuch, they would be much less threatening. So nobody's going to try to, uh, to to try to, anything funny with the queen. That was the that was the logical. It was a terribly cruel ancient way of, of ruling. Yo Yoakim's son, Yo Yoakim has some, is, a, is the wicked, wicked man. He said, "My predecessors thought they knew how to anger you. I can anger you more." He was the one who killed, personally killed a navi of Hashem, Uriah ben Shmaya of Telstone of Kiryat Yarim. His son Yo Yoakim was also terrible. Um, he's the one though who makes on, on his way. Yo Yoakim's term. He's the second to last king. Um, Yo Yoakim's term, however, he's taken off to exile. But when he he only rose for three months. At the very end, he makes tshuva too and dramatically goes up to the roof of the base of Mikdash and takes the keys of the base of Mikdash so they should not get into the hands of his Babylonian captors. He throws the, king, the, the keys up in the air and a heavenly hand descends from, descends from heaven and catches the keys, which I think if you were there, probably your reaction would have been something along the lines of, cool. <laughs> Is it a macho or something? Oh yeah, go look it up. Go look it up. All oh, this yeah. is incredibly deep. All this is incredibly deep. So Yochin is, is we're going to he- meet him later on, but he is a wicked guy while he's a king. In Bubble, everything changes for him. And in his days is the second exile. And arguably even the more significant exile, listen to this pasuk, Kol Giborei Chayil V'Kol Charashu Mazger. All the great men of war, all of the, well, technically they were, um, they were craftsmen and window makers, but this is a coded word for all the Tamanei Chachamim. The cream of the crop, the best of the sages, they went out to Bavel. Chazdei, Chazdei, Chazdei Hashem. Because they were able to go out in Bavel and establish a Torah primacy before the rest of the Jews came in order to create a great Torah center. And that's exactly what they did in Bavel, we're going to see, rises up and becomes a home to the Jews for thousands of years. It'll be the central address for Torah all the way until, you know when? 
How long will Babel remain the dominant center of the Jewish world? I mean, with going back and forth there, Eretz Yisrael, then the Second Temple is built, and then, and then Eretz, Babel recedes a little bit, Eretz Yisrael rises. But after the Second Temple is destroyed, Babel is, 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 a domin is the dominant center of the world until the Rishonim. Yeah. Until the Rishonim emerge, and then Babel descends, and hopefully we'll get to that chapter. Henry? Um, where is present-day Iraq and a little bit of Iran. That's, those, that's present day Babel. A very significant place, and it's significant because they had Tyra. And there's a parallel earlier in the Bible. What, where else do we see that first somebody goes down and establishes Tyra, and then everybody else follows? It's coming up in a few weeks in Parsha. Yaakov uh, sends down, when it's time to go down yeah. to Egypt, who does he send? Yehuda. Goes down to Eretz Goshen, and he builds a base medrash. Because a Jew cannot live without a base medrash. Can't live without a mikvah, that's the first structure built. And after the mikvah, he built a base medrash. And only then Yaakov agrees to come down. Because you, no, you have no Torah, you have no life. And that's what they do in Babel. And so the second exile, what's called the exile of the Harash, the Harash and the Mazgir, the craftsmen who are really the Talmud Echachamim, that sets the tone in Babel. Let me just finish the thought and I'll, I'll take a question. Included among these people, the, for the first time he actually goes back and forth, is one of the leaders of the Babylonian exile, of course, Mordechai. Mordechai Bilshan goes out during this time. In fact, the Pasuk in Esther says, Asher Hogla in Yechonia. He's exiled with Yechonia. Yechezkel Anavi, who we've mentioned several times here, anticipates the end of days. He goes out during this time, and um, we have a Torah infrastructure. You have the great yeshiva of Nahardea, Naharda, that's built during this time. It lasts all the way till the days of Shul when it's destroyed. Um, but that's a long-lasting yeshiva. Most yeshivas in life don't last that long. Uh, I think about, you know, yeshivas that last, last that long, I think, what a deficit. Uh, it must be running on um, anybody who runs. That's a great line. I just ripped that one off from Robert Barrel Wine. Um, but it, it's a great line because anybody knows running, any Jewish institution knows that you're running on a deficit. Um, they have shuls, the earliest shuls we've heard of, even though Jews have always had shuls. Shafiyosis, they built by, they're built by Yehoyochi, and they're headed by Yechezkel. They built the shuls when they went out with the stones and the dirt that they slept with them from Eretz Israel. Why? Think about this symbolism. You build a shul abroad with stones and dirt from Eretz Israel, you remember where you belong. We're only here temporarily. And when we, when we can get out of here, we're running back to Eretz Yisrael. That should be the Jewish attitude until we get a little too comfortable in exile. Uh, but that, that, was, that, was the, that was their intention. Um, the Jews then are in denial. We never answered this question. Why do they think that somehow the Chorban's not going to happen? It's like most denial, and that's why I'm saying you should learn history. Um, you should learn history with an eye towards what can we learn, what kind of muster can we extract from this that's relevant to our, uh, our lives. Um, the, the, the lesson is... Um, Realize that it could happen to us. Um, you know the, psycho the psychology when somebody passes a car accident, you know the first subconscious thought? Not me, that wouldn't happen to me, right? And then you ever get in a car accident and have that initial impulse of, this can't be happening to me. This kind of thing doesn't happen to me. No way, okay? That's human psychology. They're in denial. And it's buttressed by the, they had all kinds of rationalizations. They said, Hashem's not gonna destroy his own house. Why would he wanna do such a thing? It's irrational. Well, Hashem works based on us in the universe. He says, you want a house? You want me to dwell in the house? Make it comfortable to live in. You want the shtina to be present? What do you have to do? I mean, in addition to wearing college shirts in the base mattress, right? Uh, what, do you have, what do you have to do to, be, to make the shtina present? You want to speak nivel peh? And speak nivel peh? You're going to exile the shtina. He's not going to be around a place where they speak nivel peh. You want to speak divrei Torah? Oh, now you're welcome, now you're welcome the shtina to the, to the Shabbos table. 
You got to behave yourself. You're not going to behave yourself. The Shekhinah is going to be gone and he's going to destroy his house. And they didn't believe it. They couldn't, they couldn't imagine such a thing would happen. But not going to happen here, not to us. They counted on Schus Avos. They counted on the base David. The Shekhinah actually exiles itself. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us in 10 steps. It doesn't happen all at once. It starts, the Shekhinah is located in the base of Mikdash. I mean, nowhere. Above the, it, by the Kruvim, exactly, by the Kaporis. Then it goes to one Keruv and then the other Keruv. Then it goes out to the desert, that way by Harazesim. I love, I'm so, we're so zolchim to be learning this in Yerushalayim or Kodesh, because we actually point where all these things are happening. So over that away, the Shekhinah exiles itself in one of the later exiles. Each time, again, like Noah's Ark, to give the Jews a chance to look around and say, hey, maybe this is not irrevocable. Maybe we could actually change things. Nah. Yes, Bernie. Um, you, like, so Babylon seems to be a pretty big part of our history. Is there Huge. Any, is there any, like, does it talk about, like, is there any holiness to Babylon itself besides Yes, besides yes, Babylon? yes. Um, All learned in the Talmud Bavli. Huge amount on this. If you want to learn a good, read a good book on the subject, read the Talmud Bavli. Every day of your life, as you are. <laughs> Among other things, you know that it's also Leave Eretz Yisrael? Yeah. We're stuck. We didn't mention this. Sam, you knew this? We didn't mention this in brochure for Derech. Uh, it's sort of, I always refer to this as the Hotel, Hotel California aspect of Eretz Yisrael. You can check in any time you like, but you may never leave. So um, we didn't mention that detail in the Derech for sure. Yes, come to Israel. We have a basketball court right in the middle of our base medrash, right? And everything. Um, and by the way, you may never leave. Um, there actually is a hatchet to leave Eretz Yisrael, but you've got to ask a Shiloh. It's not Pashim. Right? And as much as Eretz Yisrael is the like, supreme Kedusha, Bubble had a secondary level of Kedusha. It was utterly Bubble for a secondary Golas unless you had grounds to. Just like you have grounds to leave Eretz Yisrael for certain mitzvahs and certain reasons, so too there had to be oh, grounds to leave Bubble. Was that brought by us, by us learning there, or was that already yes. there? Yes. Okay, no. Fine. It wasn't there inherently. It was the Jews oh, through their Torah. Just like, let's say, we do that with other things. So you languages, that America, languages, you might. Languages sometimes have, are infused with the Kedusha when the Torah is taught. That's why Yiddish which is actually a comp composite of Hebrew and High German. What's the significance of German? German, German some people say Germany is Amalek. But no, because so many centuries of Jews spoke Yiddish and taught Torah in Yiddish, it, become, it, be it has a quasi kedusha to it for the same reason. Excellent, excellent uh, observation. Right, yeah. Pre-modern pre uh, Hebrew, you said like how when we got this, got Israel, um, just people that lived here made up the language of modern-day Hebrew. Based on original Hebrew, so, yeah. So, before, so basically, a hundred years ago, there was it was still Lashon Hakodesh. Yeah, not spoken though. It wasn't a living language that people spoke in their or, or, or wrote in, except if you were Talmud Chachamim, as Jews all generally were through history. They knew some Torah enough to be able to, to 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 read and write in it, but it was not spoken language. Correct. Wow. After a three and a half year siege. The Kazdim breached the walls. Anybody know the date that they breached the walls? Uh, no, it's the no. 17th of Tammuz. Seventeenth of Tammuz is when we fast, when they breached the walls in the second temple, actually. But we fast for both of them. It was actually the first temple was on the ninth of Tammuz. We don't fast that day. Okay, just to be confusing. But that's the way it was. It was the ninth of Tammuz. That was a trick question on my part. No fair. Um, 
And on the year, if you calculate to the secular calendar according to Chazal's time frame, we would put this approximately at the year 422. I just did this this morning in my, in my Gemara Shir. Not 586, as the secular historians will tell you. That's a problematic, flawed date based on the Christian calendar. But a Jew, the Jewish date is about 422 before the Common Era. Uh, it was the first year of the Shemitah cycle, which was significant because the Jews by then were neglecting the Shemitah year. And on the sunset of the 9th of Av, it was a Motzei Shabbos. The Babylonians set fire to the base of Mikdash. They talk about this. They give all the exact the Shemitah year. It was Erev Tishabab. It was like, maybe you remember, you were little kids at the time, but where were you the morning that the planes crashed into the WTC? There were certain iconic dates in history. You remember where you were and who you called first kind of a thing. Well, that was what it was and more so. Compounded a thousandfold when the base of Mikdash was destroyed. And every loving detail is recorded for posterity. Chazal, we never forget this. Every vision, those three and a half years of siege that, that, that plagued the Jews, um, every single vision of the klala, of the curse in the Torah came true with starvation, with mothers eating their children, with barbarism, with unspeakable suffering came true. Why? Same answer. Not to punish us. To, make, to help us make tshuva. And we didn't take the bait. Nebuzaradan, who's called the chief butcher, he was Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. He's the head of the army. He was also present. He was one of the survivors. If you remember when Sancheirub, that faithful Pesach morning, woke up and his whole army was decimated except for five or 14 men. And of the men were two young men, Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is referred to by the Pasuk as the chief butcher of the Babylonian Empire. He enters the area of the base of Mikdash and he sees in the temple floor, who remembers? Oh, the blood. The, the blood. blood. Boiling blood. Boiling blood for 238 years. The blood of, I remember his name? Uh, the Navi, Zechariah ben Yehoyari, whose blood is bubbling there. Seven Averas in one day. Yom Kippur, there was Shabbos. He was a Navi and a Kongadal, all of the above. It had never been avenged. And he walks in and he says, What's my high? What's this? What is all this? And the Jews, of course, naturally respond, ooh, nothing, Monty Python style, right? I don't see blood, I don't see blood. Uh, and, and he said, mm, uh, that's fine. I'll take a Jew and murder him uh, one minute after the next until one of you kind of tells me the story. And the Jews said, mm, okay. And they tell him the story of Zechariah. And he said, all these years, 238 years, he's not been appeased. I'll appease him. And he starts bringing in Jews, and he starts slaughtering them. He said, is this going to be enough for you? He takes the select, the best youth, the Pirchei Kahuna, he slaughters them. The women slaughters them. The Talmud Chachamim, those who didn't go to Babel, and slaughters them. He winds up shechting so many people. The Gemara could be talking about an exaggeration. 940,000 Jews. And finally, the blood does not stop seething. And finally, he says, I've destroyed the flower of the Jews. He says, do you wish me to massacre them all? And with this, the blood, 238 years later, finally rests. And it stops bubbling. What is this guy's His name is Nebuzaradan. And then suddenly Nebuzaradan, stay with the logic of the story. Nebuzaradan starts thinking, he says, so it took 940,000 Jews to appease the bubbling blood of one Sadi. I just killed all 940,000 of those Jews. 
I wonder what would it take. Uh oh, I'm in trouble. And he realizes what he's done now, and that he's in big trouble. And you know what that's called? Here, who It's not yet chuva. It's a thought. It's a havamina of chuva. And actually, later on, he does make chuva and converts to Judaism. Oh, that's so sweet. That's a, it's a little late. It would have been nice a few minutes earlier. I have to admit that. Oh, what, what, what about the guy that goes and cries in the mountain? The temple's destroyed. The temple's destroyed with, in supernatural proportions. Stone, <coughs> stone and marble should not burn. They certainly shouldn't burn easily. In the case of the Horban, stone and marble burned. And Shlomo's masterwork comes crumbling down. Base of Mikdash, 410 years after it's put up, falls down. When the Base of Mikdash is destroyed, the world changes. It's one of the cataclysms we mentioned of history together with the Mabul and the Second Temple destruction. The Brysa in Sota talks about what we lose. We lose what's called the bat, um, Batlu Are Migrash. The cities of the Levim are destroyed for no, for, forever. The Urim and Tumim. The, really the red phone that we connect from a Kaddish, to a Kaddish Baruch Hu that are located where? Mahmoud is showing what they are, exactly where they are. Choshen Mishpat. The breastplate of the, of the Kohen Gadol. Are they the actual breastplate? Is it a note inside the breastplate? That's a Machlokis Rashi Rambam. But it, it's, it's, it's there. We lose the Urim and Tumim. The Urim and Tumim told us when to go to war, instructed the Kohen Gadol, anything you need to know, you ask the Urim and Tumim, and they gave, us, they gave us a connection. We no longer have that. But it was more than that. There was never again a king. The last king was Sidkiyahu. His story is tragic, and that is no more. There was something, the softest, nicest garment in the world called Paranda silk, gone. There was something called white glass. It was a luxury item, no more. There were iron chariots. And then, this is really crushing for some of us, um, they used to have this stuff called Yain Karush. It was made up of the remnants of the wine libations in the base of Mikdash. It was congealed wine, but that doesn't capture it. Um, imagine, I don't know what you eat, Swiss chocolate, that does it for you? What's the greatest delicacy you've ever tasted in your life? No, no, delicacy. Oh, I'm talking about the finest. Parsio, what's that bird? That bird, Parsuni. <laughs> better than that, better than that. Better than the, the, fa- the fine fatty pheasant. Right, and from our Gemara, no, 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 do, do better than that. No, you got, in, your, in our lives, we, we're decadent, we, we yummy foods. Oh yeah, he, 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 he's a connoisseur of good, of, of, of gourmet, gourmet foods. But you know, it's important, the best food, and you've never even approached, you've never approached the flavor of Yain Karush. It was sublime, it was Mino Lamhaba, and we haven't had it since this time. It's wine? It was congealed wine that was the sweetest delicacy uh, that you could taste. Remember Yoshua when he came into the land, established Kedusha, the holiness of the land, so that there would be mitzvahs to keep all the agricultural laws, that the mitzvahs of Kliyot Zvaretz are nullified. The land loses its Kedusha for at least 70 years. The sky used to be blue, and it's not blue anymore. It's a different color. You think that's blue? nothing. 850 years have passed since Yoshua entered the land and now the survivors march sadly to exile. Tzidkiyahu Amelech tried to flee against Yirmiyahu's uh, council. He tries to flee in an underground passage under the Harabais. Coming out in Yericho, he walks right into the hands of his captors of the Kazdim. 
They massacre his whole party, including the Sanhedrin. They take his sons, murder him in the presence of the father, and then do something really cruel. They pop out his eyeballs and throw them into the oven and keep the man alive. So Tzitkiyahu is really as a flawed tzaddik. The last thing he beheld, his last vision in this world, was the, not only the death of his sons, but think about it. The future of Beis David. Where's Mashiach going to come from? They're all killed. And they put him into prison till the, till the day of his death. He comes out of prison when Nebuchadnezzar dies, and that day he dies, but he never has another kid. So whatever, where do we get Melch Mashiach from? Last king is, is, is exile. And I already gave you a hint, I'm not telling you today. I gave you a hint. It was a carefully planted Where's Waldo kind of a hint in the earlier in the earlier history, and I'll I'll get to it tomorrow if you can figure it out on your own. Well, we got JC Penny. JC. will restore some of these things, and then when the second temple is destroyed, there'll be further decay. Decay. Nebuchadnezzar leaves behind in Eretz Israel six hundred six thousand Jews, mostly the Amiharets of Menashe, mostly the evil ones. They're there to tend the fields and vineyards. You know, if you conquer a land, you can't leave it empty. Somebody has to be there to maintain it. And they're there to maintain it. Um, the leader of the Jews for the next two months is named? Gedaliah ben Achikam. Gedaliah ben Achikam, who's the governor. And Gedaliah, if you remember, I told you the story with, in more, in, in more elaborate version. Gedaliah is, is assassinated on... Rosh Hashanah, not even two, not even two months, not even barely a month elapses, and he's assassinated. And the Jews, remember, are distraught. They approach Yirmiyahu, the straggling remnant. They say, "We're terrified of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we assassinated the governor that the Babylonians set up. What are we supposed to do? Should we stay here and risk the attack of the Babylonians, or maybe go down to Egypt?" And Yirmiyahu says, and they say, we're so sorry we never listened to you all those years. Now whatever you tell us, we'll listen to you. So Yirmiyahu comes, comes back with his nevuah, with his prophecy, and he says, the nevuah is, you stay in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael cannot be bereft of the Jews. And you remember, you remember this story. And the Jews said, you want us to stay in Eretz Yisrael? You think we're going to stay in Eretz We're not staying in Eretz Yisrael. And they leave for Egypt. Stiff-necked people. <laughs> Yeah, so they go down and Yirmiyahu goes with him. It's the only, it's the last time in history that there's, the land has been bereft of Jews. Yirmiyahu goes, goes down. He's the ever loyal servant. He loves Hashem. Remember, he's the one, unlike Eliyahu and Yonah, he is Tovea the Kavod. He loves Hashem. He loves the Jewish people. And he's there with us. Even when we betray him, he never betrays us. Um, in Egypt, by the way, it doesn't end well. Most of them, most of them are massacred there in Egypt by the Babylonians themselves. And the second and last time in history, Eretz Israel does not have Jews in it. The Gemara Megillah tells us the Shekhinah itself was exiled to Bavel as a way of comforting the Jews. The, um, Does that have any implications the lifestyle? What's that? Like, like, wasn't the Jews just made sure of no, none, 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 evidently. But they, he, he went with them, and on the way to Bavel, the famous Tehillah that we say in, in Tehillim, Alnaros Bavel, Sham Yeshabnu is Darshan, the Medrash goes in to the cruelty of Nebuchadnezzar, but the Jews on the way, en route to Bavel, make tshuva, and their captors laugh at them. The captors understand better than we understood ourselves the significance of what happened. They said, you know, all those years your prophets were telling you to make tshuva. But no, you had to wait till it was too late. And now that you've lost your temple, now you're making tshuva, and they spat on them. 
and they make tshuva, and they build up Bavl, and Bavl becomes this great center of Torah, but it's not Eretz Yisrael. And um, Hashem sends them others to comfort them. He sends them Yechezkel. Yechezkel gives them prophecy in Bavl. He, you can't be, one of the rules of prophecy is you can't really start as a Navi in Chutzlaretz. You have to start in Eretz Yisrael, and he did for the first five years, but his major prophecy is in exile. He actually, we read about this on the morning of Chag and Torah and Shavuos. We read about his vision, I mentioned it the other day, of the Kisya Kavu, of the Maisim Kava, which is the greatest spiritual image that we have of all time. It's Hashem sending him a taste of the world to come as a comfort for the Jews in this crushing moment in history. The heavens open up, the image of the four chayos, the human face, Rav Schechter mentioned a week ago that, uh, tonight, who's got the human face of the four faces on the Kisei HaKavod, the Maisim Merkava? Yaakov Avinu, the face of ultimate beauty. Um, people should know that Hashem has not forgotten them. Uh, he sees, not like Moshe saw, he sees through the Asbaklari She'ena Meira, the foggy glass, uh, that's why there's so many enigmas. Anybody ever learned this? If you learn, for example, the first four chapters of the third ch- section of the Guide to the Plex, the Morning of the of the Rambam, he goes into all of this, and at the end of the fourth chapter, he says something like, um, none of this you'll really understand, but here's a general description of it, because it, it, it boggles the mind, partly because his prophecy itself was foggy. It wasn't so clear what he saw. He prophesizes that the temple will be rebuilt, a second time and a third time. And we mentioned the third time. This is all the details are, are included there. Tomorrow, Bezras Hashem Yisbarach, we're going to get to um, one of the saddest, but also one of the most colorful phases in our history, exile in Bavo, which is, which is uh, too much to be believed. But, uh, that's... Yeah, Bezras Hashem. Bezras Hashem.